Welcome to Your Life and Money, where we believe that financial planning is not just about numbers, it's about your life. I'm Brad Smith, joined always by Tim Barodi, and each episode we'll be sharing stories from real people who have used life-centered planning to achieve their goals and dreams. At Advice First, we believe that the key to financial success is aligning your money with your values and your priorities. And we're here to help you do just that. So sit back, relax, and let's get started on the journey to a life-centered plan. Well, today I'm very excited to be joined by Don Phillips-Brown. Don is a lawyer that we work with and, uh, and that has worked with some of our clients. And she is a partner and a lawyer at Medorn Snyder here in Kitchener, Ontario. So welcome, Don. Thank you for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so to give our, our listeners a little bit of background, maybe, um, how about, can you kind of let me know your, a bit about you, your story, and and... Yeah, what, what brought you to this point uh, yeah. today and where we're at? No, absolutely. So I grew up in the Kitchener-Waterloo area and went to law school not too far down the road at Western, uh, returned to the community to article at the firm that I'm now a partner at in 2008. So I've been practicing in the region for that length of time. When I uh, first started practicing, my practice was kind of broad litigation, and I Did a a wide range of things, but a lot of it was actually municipal defense-related things and slip and falls and trip and falls. But uh, as... The Saul Goodmans of the world. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Well, actually, and sometimes on the other side from them. As uh, as that unfolded, though, I started to realize more and more that I found the area of estate law and the kind of power of attorney, wills, that type of stuff quite interesting. And I... I came back from a maternity leave fairly early in my career to a partner who had been doing our estate litigation, and he basically indicated he wanted to stick more with the drafting side, working with clients to plan their estates and not go to court to, <laughs> to help family fight about it. So I uh, I kind of took over that portion of his practice and since then have really specialized in the estate litigation, power of attorney litigation field. And I have a, a particular focus actually on uh, lawyers and uh, assisting them if their file is requested, their estate planning file is requested as evidence, or if there's a, an issue with a will that they drafted that needs to be fixed. So it's it's a unique area, but certainly a very interesting one. And that, that ties in great with the discussions that we've been having over the last couple of months around uh, the whole process and idea around wealth transfer and, and estate planning. And and one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on it for an episode is because I'm sure you've seen a number of different issues or potential pitfalls that people uh, have gone through when it comes to their actual kind of estate documents and and that and things that people should be aware of or watch out for. And uh, again, as we were looking to wrap up our, our conversations and our series here, um, I thought you, you would be able to tie a nice bow on everything for us and for our listeners as we're looking at that topic. Yeah, absolutely. So estate litigation is actually one of the areas of law that is growing at a, a exponential speed. And I, I think a large reason for that is, quite frankly, there's a great amount of wealth uh, tied up in, in the older generation. Mm-hmm. And as uh, people pass away and their estates come to be, uh, sometimes um, the children or the grandchildren or the friends or the family, it just depends on the circumstances, people are not happy to find what the, the estate plan 
was that was left behind. And so will challenges, um, allegations that the will that was left as the last will isn't the right will and that there's a reason it should be set aside have become quite, quite common. Mm -hmm. Um, So too have disputes between siblings, adult siblings often about uh, who's the power of attorney and whether they took proper care of their parents' money Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. all of those things. Um, And certainly I see... Uh, a wide range of family disputes. And I one, one kind of overarching lesson that I've been able to draw from it all is even the nicest families and even the most cooperative, loving, caring families can find themselves falling into that dispute territory after a, uh, a main you know parent, often matriarch or patriarch, dies. They can find themselves in these disputes because in large part, there wasn't a great amount of communication mm. when that person was alive. Um, and, and, and you know, a big part of my job is gathering evidence and trying to piece back together almost like a history lesson. What did this person want to do? Why did they do what they right. did? Um, and, and in my experience, when the family members haven't been well informed about what the plan is, or where there hasn't been communication left, either um, family meetings or letters or you know emails, even to explain, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it it often leads to wondering, and and I think there's a lot of disputes that I see that could resolve if the the people involved understood the why and yep. when they don't then they get angry and then it, and it often spurs on very expensive and very time consuming litigation and that is that kind of goes back to to Brad and I's last episode around this topic of of having that discussion the talk discussion is explaining your wishes so when you're putting together this estate plan or wealth transfer plan Having everybody involved in that, not necessarily in making the decisions, but understanding the why you've made the decisions that you did so that hopefully when the time comes to execute the will that you don't have these types of issues. Yeah, it can go it can go such a long way. And so, you know, I often encourage um, people to consider having a family meeting if possible, but there are families and I understand the dynamic where maybe you're not really comfortable. You know, I, I often see uh, clients who, or, or deceased people who in their lifetime, they might not have been the most wanting or willing to openly share every detail yep. of their plan. And so, you know, if, if you're willing to get your family together and, and be open and honest about it, by all means, that's a great way to avoid those disputes down the road because it's hard for people to say they have questions when everyone was informed. But another approach can sometimes be to document it yourself. It doesn't have to mean you you know, openly read it to the family and everyone <laughs> is at Sunday dinner. It can mean you write it out, you explain your reasons, you go into detail as to what you've done and why you've done it. You can leave a copy of that with the lawyer. You mm-hmm. can leave a copy of that in your safe or wherever your your kind of papers are. Or you can send that to your family while you're still alive. But if they know and understand a decision, you know, if, if for example, you're talking about a very important family asset like a cottage or... Um, I see a 
a lot of matters, and I've had a particular file lately where the cottage was specifically chosen to go to one sibling over the others because of how critical it was to the parent to keep that cottage in the family. Mm-hmm. And that the parent knew that these other siblings, if they received any portion of the cottage, were likely to not keep it in the family because oh, okay. of where they lived, because mm-hmm. of their lifestyles. And so, you know, often there are ways of explaining that, communicating that, and then having people understand that, that if done properly while you're alive, you avoid litigation between your children or between your grandchildren about the intentions that in some cases can completely dwindle your estate away or certainly take a big chunk of it. The, the, The costs of estate litigation, you know, even just very small, simple matters that resolve quickly can be tens of thousands and if not into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, which a lot of it could be avoided if there was just that documented communication and, and, explanations to your family members now do you find there's um like a generational gap almost between some of kind of again that older generation maybe doesn't want to be as open and like is that one of the things you've noticed at all or is it can it be just is it a really a case-by-case scenario i think it's case by case but you know one of the one of the areas where we do see a fair bit of uh kind of a pattern is um second generation or sorry second marriage situations Mm, second Second marriage situations often lead to a bit less comfort in being able to talk openly about what your plan is and and what you might want to see. Because as an example, if if dad has already lost uh, the mother of the family and is now with somebody else and repartnered, dad's children may not want to hear or like what they hear (laughs) about some of dad's plans. So I do find that that older generation in the second marriage situation is somewhere where we see a lot of communication issues. I also also often find in families where there is not just a typical asset base. So, you know, if you have a, a mom and a dad RSPs, some investments, and it's fairly standard with the home that they've always lived in, it's often easier for them to communicate about what the plan is because the plan is probably pretty... Pretty straightforward. Yeah. Predictable, yeah. <laughs> but if you have a family with a farming um, background, mm-hmm. especially, often where one or two of the children stayed on the farm, stayed involved with the farm, but then you also have some of the siblings who've gone off and yeah. have a non-farm uh, life, or if you have a family business, again, where some stayed involved, some some did not, the, the root issue, I think, in a lot of those families is... It's not just about assets. It's not just about who's getting what or what the plan is. There's often some resentments or some, you know, feelings and emotions behind it all. And so I do think that older generation with family businesses or with second marriage situations is where we see most of the kind of communication needs. But when the communication doesn't happen, it it certainly leads to some significant uh, disputes. Yeah, for sure. And and that was another one of the topics that... Um, Brad and I had discussed earlier is, again, some of those challenges, especially we deal with um, a number of farming families and that. And again, when you have, okay, uh, son number one is doing all the work on the farm and and, and what does that mean going forward? And and again, some of the strategies you can look at more on the planning side um, to try to make sure that everybody is 
as okay with those decisions as possible um, once once they're made. Yeah, and one thing I can I can say for sure, especially with farming families or b- families with businesses, things change over time, right? The the economy around farming. I mean, the the the, the property values today versus <laughs> twenty years ago are astounding. And so sometimes what is important to recognize is your plans can change. Mm-hmm. You can you can decide depending on what the plans are and how they've been documented. You can often and decide, you know, to switch it up and to do something different than maybe you contemplated 20 years ago. And if you've always been in the habit of communicating with your children or your grandchildren about what the plan is, if it's just a known reality, then changing it and documenting those changes becomes a little bit easier because everybody has always had a clear understanding. And when a change or a reason to change comes up, People can wrap their head around the, the the need for a different plan. And sometimes they can be part of that discussion with you, which is of assistance in making sure your family gets it. They know what you're wanting to happen. Mm-hmm. And it really does minimize the likelihood that once you're gone, they're going to find out what the new plan is and all of a sudden find themselves engaging in litigation right. with one You another. don't want that to be a big surprise at no. the reading of the will, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, everything's different, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's communication is huge. Huge. And there's also, um, I'm finding a trend, I think, with assets being passed during people's lifetime. And I know I listened uh, to some of the podcasts that you and Brad have done, and, and there was some discussion about, you know, deciding when to do that mm-hmm. and how to do mm-hmm. that. One uh, kind of important legal... I would almost call it a minefield that is out there is the transfer of joint assets during your life, again, without communication and documentation. So um, some years ago, the courts made a decision because there's a there's a case called PCOR. Um, they were finding that elderly adults or older adults were putting their children, adult children's names on things. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't always clear why they were doing that. Sometimes they were doing that because they wanted them to have it. Right. You know, I have a cottage. I want to avoid probate fees. I want to put it into your name. And that's the plan. Sometimes they were doing it because as they got older, they didn't want to go to the bank and pay the bills Mm, anymore. Okay. Yeah. They were deciding that, you know, lifestyle changes and, and if something happens to me, I want you to be able to deal with it and do what you need to do. So sometimes their reasoning for putting it in a joint name with their child was not as a gift. It was actually for administration. Right. Um, and the problem that started to arise is these people would pass away. And these assets would be out there and no one knew for sure, is it the child's or is it the estate's? Because mm. we don't know. And so a presum- so, even, so even if it was joint name, there was still from the court's perspective and ambiguity there, I guess? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And banks often don't necessarily kind of tell the whole story or they don't know the whole story in terms of how us litigators look at it. But if someone comes into my office and says, you know, my dad just passed away and the house, his house and my uh, is in my name and, and his name jointly, you know, the bank or the the, my dad was told by his banker or whomever, that means it's mine. Um, it's actually not necessarily true. The court can look at that circumstance and say, there needs to be proof of a gift. There needs to be proof oh, that it okay. was intended to be given as a gift. Otherwise, there's what they call a presumption of resulting trust, meaning the son may be found to hold that property uh, on resulting trust for the estate, and it therefore kind of flows back into the estate uh. and gets distributed. And that's that's one of these things that a lot of people don't fully understand or know. And it's also one of these things that if you step back from it, 
could be clarified by communication. Right. You know, if if the the father when he made that decision wrote a letter to the whole family and said, you know, I have four children, but one of them lives near me in town, and so I'm putting it into his name to mm-hmm. help me in the future. Mm-hmm. It's to go to all of you ultimately, but mm-hmm. I'm putting it in his name so he can assist me. Well, it makes it pretty hard for that son to then later say, oh, no, this house is mine. Yeah. Um, So it's an important point, you know, even lifetime gifts or or transfers. If you write down the reason, if you document the reason, and if that's kept somewhere or ideally communicated to everyone at the time, it really does take away the likelihood that there'll be a dispute about it later. Now, kind of on that topic, would this be more related to like real estate type of assets so is that where this is most common like to come across as no with, it, it happens with joint accounts as well so it's often uh, investments mm-hmm. um, have beneficiary designations yeah. on them so that the, the those are typically not something that you find find being put into joint names right. as a gift because the person knows that when they pass away they've designated someone or in, in some cases many people or their estate <laughs> to be the beneficiaries this uh, does happen though a lot with joint bank accounts so right. checking yep. Yep. or savings accounts we find where powers of attorney their children are named as the power of attorney and they go into the bank at the time that they give the bank the power of attorney to say, look, right now I'm completely capable of managing my own affairs, but someday my son George right. is going to is gonna help me with this. And sometimes the banks will actually encourage or say, well, why don't you put the account joint into yeah. George's name? It'll make it easier. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a question we get a lot all yeah. the time as well. Yeah. And there's often forms that the bank has where you fill it out and you can either check right of survivorship, meaning when I pass, it will go to George, or you cannot check that, meaning strong evidence of I'm just doing this for administration. Right. But the problem is that bank form is just a checkbox. Yeah. And so it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. And you do have people who whose parents did it for that reason, for the administrative reason, but who once their parent passes away, they go to the bank and they say, okay, you know, my, my dad has passed, here's a death certificate. And the bank will say, okay, well, this account is yours now. You mm-hmm. can, you, your mm-hmm. name was on it as a joint owner. It automatically becomes yours. But again, that's not necessarily true. And so their siblings right. often think, well, no, hold on. We don't think dad wanted George to be the sole owner of his whole bank account. We think dad just did that so George could help out. And yeah. we would like to see that account be declared part of the estate. I gotcha. Okay. And so we do see it a lot in that in that uh, area as well. And and the presumption that you did not intend to give it that it's it's automatically presumed you meant to do it for administration purposes can be rebutted. All you need to do is show it was a gift. Mm-hmm. And what better evidence to show something was a gift than communication? You right. know, whether it's yeah. a letter or an email, email. Or a discussion amongst the family that was documented to say this was a George account. It was right. meant to stay as a George yeah, account. Yeah, it's meant to go to George <laughs> after I'm gone type of thing, right? Yeah, so. absolutely. Okay, so that I mean, that makes, I mean, it makes sense when you kind of think about it uh, and kind of take that step back. But yeah, I can understand how there could be some some challenges related to, to that sort of thing. And especially, again, on on certain things like the bank accounts and that, that people probably don't put a whole lot of thought into um, when you're doing something like that, but could, again, result in some of these um, challenges and whatnot. Um, 
yeah, once you're gone, right? Yeah. And, and you yeah. have no say in it anymore, right? Well, so. and that's the thing. I mean, most estate litigation is about trying to figure out what someone wanted who's no longer there to right. say what they wanted. Yeah. Um, so are there any other kind of pitfalls or, or things that people need to be, I mean, aware of or, or again, as you're kind of preparing, if, if we've gone through this process and now we're in the, we want to prepare the documents and, and everything as, as efficiently and um, appropriately as possible, are there other, have, having been on that side where you're dealing with <laughs> normally challenges yeah. and whatnot, like what are some things that people can do to, to avoid I know we've touched on communication. I feel like, I feel yeah, like communi- that's going to be the one. <laughs> yeah, communication with the family is is obviously a key way to avoid. You're managing their expectations, right. so you're you're avoiding the likelihood because estate litigation is started by somebody, right? And mm-hmm. so if you're gone, the only way your estate's going to be thrown into litigation is if somebody doesn't like right. kind of the, the what what is on paper and raises it. So that's certainly an important one. But the other one is, you know, to really having a good trusted advisor, um, accountant, financial planner and lawyer, in my view, all of whom you openly give enough information to mm-hmm. that they can give you good guidance as may be necessary on what your plan should be. There's a lot of times we see you know, uh, beneficiary designations, as I mentioned earlier, is a good example. If you don't communicate to your lawyer's office and your lawyer when you're doing a will and an estate plan that you have a variety of investments with beneficiaries named on them that will not pass through your will Mm -hmm. because they're passing outside of your estate, there may be things you want that you, you don't stop and think about with respect to those assets or who you want them to go to. And if you don't give kind of that complete picture to a lawyer, they may not know how to help you incorporate that properly into your plan. And so we do see a lot of kind of unintentional consequences after the fact from people who thought, oh, well, my will says everything to my two children. I just assumed that would automatically include updating effectively my beneficiary designations. Right. But there's case law out there and there's there's some clear rules that's actually kind of become front and center lately in my world where the court has said general wording in a will is not enough to, mm-hmm. for example, revoke a beneficiary designation. So just because you did your will does not mean that you also updated all of your beneficiary right. designations. Right, you'd have to go to us in this case and say, no, I want if my RSP, for example, has a a designated beneficiary or my TFSA, I want to update it at the same time right? right. to make sure everything is in line. Yeah. Or there are ways that a a lawyer can assist you with your will making specific revocations of those designations or changing them, but they can't do that if you don't tell them about it. So certainly, you know, making sure that you have good advisors and that you're giving accurate information even for someone that thinks, and, and I use air quotes here when I say this, but that they have a quote-unquote simple estate, mm-hmm. nobody really does have a simple <laughs> <laughs> estate. And things can go wrong. People you don't expect to raise issues can raise issues. You know, So just really finding the right people in your life to, to advise you, to guide you, and giving them the tools and the information that they need to do so thoroughly is of critical importance. And so, I mean, I know your answer to this question, but um, when it comes to then dealing with an estate, so if you're an executor or something like that, 
um, a lawyer should always be involved, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I know a lot of people who roll their eyes at the, the cost of a lawyer or the added, uh, you know, and they say, oh, it's just a piece of paper and how could it be that important? But, you know, both for estate planning and for estate administration, there are so many areas or things that cannot go as planned. And if you don't have someone there, you know, the rules are changing all the time. Requirements are you often... You know, where you could spend, you know, $1,000 or $2,000 at the outset to do a proper will as Mm -hmm, an example, mm -hmm. if you don't do that and you just try to kind of take matters into your own hands, your estate could quite likely spend $40,000, $50,000, $60,000 Forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars right. <laughs> trying to fix uh, what what the consequences are, and and when it comes to estate administration, the same thing. I mean, there are constantly new changes coming out in terms of reporting requirements and you know how to best document what you're doing as an estate trustee, what steps you're taking, what's required. And, and there can be penalties and consequences mm-hmm. if you don't follow those things. And so, you know, likely if you're acting as an estate trustee, you may down the road have to account for what you've done. You may right. have to explain it to a sibling or if you're a uninterested beneficiary, maybe to a family friend's family. But mm. you, if you don't have that good advice and guidance at the outset, you are potentially setting yourself up for litigation and a lot of time and money sometimes out of your own pocket and this depending on the circumstances mm-hmm. that just could have been completely avoided with some good reasonable advice at the outset awesome um well i mean that pretty much wraps up our time for uh for this episode so again i just want to say thank you very much for um taking the time out of your i know very busy day um to to come in and Uh, talk to our listeners and explain some of these rules and and some of these things to watch for. Um, Again, communication is the key from no matter, I guess, what you're looking at, you always want to be sure you're you're communicating and and explaining what you're trying to do. Um, So again, thank you very much uh, for your time. Yeah, thank you. And yeah, we'll look forward to touching base again sometime soon. It was great to be here. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to Your Life and Money. We hope you found this episode informative and inspiring. If you have any questions or feedback, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at advice-verse.ca. Remember, financial planning is about more than just money. It's about living the life you want. So take some time to reflect on your goals and priorities and let us help you create a plan that aligns with your vision for the future. We'll be back with more stories, insights, and strategies to help you get the most out of your money and your life. Until then, take care and keep planning for the life you deserve. All comments are of a general nature and should not be relied upon as individual advice. The views and opinions expressed in this commentary may not necessarily reflect those of Harborfront Wealth Management. While every attempt is made to ensure accuracy, facts and figures are not guaranteed. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing or tax advice. Please seek advice from your accountant regarding anything raised in the content of the podcast regarding your individual tax situation. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.